Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, 11 volumes in paperback and ebook. And soon, folks, I'm working on volume 11 in Audible. You will have that as well. And before, oh, by the way, all of these books are available at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes as well. I'm getting a little ahead of myself today. I'm anxious. <laughs> and may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing all right, Bill. It's good to be back. Yeah, I'm uh, back in action and uh, we got 53 degrees here today with the sun shining. I was just watching the weather and they're forecasting ahead, you know, projecting what's coming. And they're talking about the end of the month or normal temperature should be like today. Nice. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So does that mean that March is coming in like a lamb and going out like a lamb? Well... If it doesn't come in like a lamb, I'm breaking out the over-under. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to blast the, we're going to blast whatever it is and allow the lamb to come in and stay in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's pretty nice here today too down in North Kakalaki. Um and uh the daffodils are all up and I'm ready for springtime. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, uh, just the older I get, the less I like winter. I think that's universal. Yeah, and I don't, you know, I'm not one to be down on seasons. I try to break that mentality, so I don't want to have this negative attitude towards any particular season, you know. No, I. that's a good point. I love the seasons. Yeah. And it's part of why I've enjoyed North Carolina so much is that we do have legit all four seasons but winter is shorter and yep. you know it's good enough to get the cold it kills kills all of the bugs all the leaves fall up the trees the grass stops growing so you don't have to mow it for a while <laughs> but as soon as i start to get sick of the winter it starts getting warmer it starts rolling this was around a cold winter man it was cold yeah. up here. I had many days going in and out of the hospital and everywhere else where it felt like I didn't have pants on. Yeah, I mean, a lot of outdoor activities that I would do all year long normally have definitely been suspended this winter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, one, I'm not one, you know, because of the lifestyle I lead. I'm not going to walk around all day with thermal, uh, you know, underwear on down to the ankles where I'm roasting uh, just to go out. 
occasionally and have like warm legs, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I'm going in and out of the hospital, and you, it's kind of dress casual over there, and uh, you know, I'm not about to sit there all day and. The heat, sometimes it's roasting, sometimes it's cool in there. I mean, it's up and down and all over the place. So I just go with my dress slacks, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I could imagine how the hospital is like other big commercial buildings. You don't know if it's going to be freezing cold or roasting hot. Oh, yeah. We got people using fans in there on some days. We got people using heaters. Nice. Nice. Uh, and everything in between, and this is in a building with heat and air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I am back from Spain, España, and mm-hmm. uh, I did not see any cryptids on the Iberian <laughs> Peninsula. <laughs> I did eat some, some uh, pig leg, though. So, you know, pig leg. That air dried pig leg. Which is the most interesting thing in the world. If you haven't seen that bill, they bring out the leg of a pig that's uh-huh. air dried, air dried, and they put it in this little mounting bracket, hoof and all, and then they start carving on it, and uh, hand you these air dried pieces of pig to eat. How was how was it? It is delicious. Yeah, I was gonna say, man. You know they know how to do things right. You I didn't know? bite the hoof though. <clears throat> I would have gnawed on the hoof. I did threaten one of my friends when they're done carving it. You know, they break up the <laughs> bone and you have the hoof there. I was going to stick it in his briefcase. I wanted him to go through TSA with a pig foot in his bag. What? No, no, you don't understand, officer. It's not my pig hoof. Did they say that the uh, the pig leg was actually taken from a pig man captured in the Iberian Peninsula? <laughs> no mention of the pig man. <laughs> Good point, though. Good point, though. Could have been yeah, an android pig man. Android pig man leg. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I know, uh, like, one of the last times you were over there, they said they fed you good. You had that meal, like, kind of late at night with all those little things and fixings and trimmings. That was freaking fantastic. Yeah, well, they know? eat so late over there. I mean, the restaurants don't open until 10 o'clock. No kidding. It's just crazy. Wow, man. I'm ready to sit down in my jimmy jammies and, uh, you know... Uh, yeah, rest up. I'm, I'm not eating at 10 o'clock. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm still tired. <laughs> wow. And I saw you sent me over that picture of Max Verstappen's F1 car. Yeah, his car was over there. One of his cars, you know, not the one he was racing in Bahrain. Yeah. Um, and, but uh, it was pretty cool. And I was like, man, that thing, re-, you know, because a lot of times they have a mock-up of an F1 car at these different events. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, man, that looks like a real car. And I went over to touch it. And a guard came out and said, you can't touch it. And I was like, yeah, I know, but, you know, I'm just touching the tire. He's like, no, this is a real car. Like, it showed up here on Friday, and no one's allowed to touch it. Wow. I was like, all right, looks real. A guard watching it. Jeez. Keep me from trying to climb in and fit in the thing. Get a feel for it, you know. Which ain't happening, by the cockpit on those things is tiny. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm sure they're made for the individual driver, yeah. you know. But uh, so, what do we have, bro? In our cryptids in the news and other oddities. Yeah. Segment? So lately, we've been getting a creep on, as you know. Mm-hmm. And today, we're going to go to the skies. 
Okay. And it's kind of an interesting story that I came across. Um, it includes a sighting, but it's also related to, you know, we're always talking or folks are always talking about the potential for cover-ups going all the way back in time on uh, UFO sightings or UAP sightings, as they're now referred to. And I came across this story related to astronaut Gordon Cooper. Okay. Right? You've heard of him, right? Gordo. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And um, um, Gordon Cooper, or Gordo Cooper, um, he was a, a, a test pilot, an Air Force pilot, and the youngest of seven original astronauts in what they called Pro Project Mercury, which was the first human space program of the United States. Right. Right. That that was uh, John Glenn was part of that exactly. when he did his solo loop around the Earth, the exactly. first orbit. Right. Yep. And, um, you know, he he uh, um, was he did a longer trip. So during he did a 34 hour mission where he became the first American to spend an entire day in space, the first to sleep in space and the last American that was launched on an entirely solo orbital mission. So that was Gordo mm -hmm. Cooper. Okay. So I guess John Glenn went up into space and then came back down before he went all the way around, you know, for that period of time. I don't know. We'll have to check that out. But that's what the facts say. Okay. But what's, Yeah, I just, it was, Kevin, it was so long ago and I was a little boy. Oh, no, no. But I, I, know, I just, I remember thing it happening, from top of know. mind that John Glenn was the first to orbit the Earth, but I think he was the first in space right, in the same right, program. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So also, though, what Gordo Cooper is famous for um, was he witnessed a type of metallic craft without wings flying over Germany in the late 1950s. Uh, this was from space no, no, or in just, an, uh, uh, in a, uh, an in aircraft? A Air Force jet, I assume. Yeah, okay. Um, and at the time, he believed that it was some type of experimental Soviet aircraft. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he, he claimed uh, that this was actually a UFO, though, because it was, right? It was unidentified. But, Absolutely. you know, later on, he was like, hey, maybe this is, uh, you know, some type of Soviet experimental aircraft. Mm -hmm. And then later on uh, in time, on May 3rd in 1957, Cooper was out at Edwards Air Force Base. And he and his crew set up some precision cinematography equipment on the dry lake bed there. And this uh, equipment could take pictures at 30 frames per second as aircraft landed. Okay. And there were a couple of guys there helping him. One was James Biddick and Jack Geddes. And uh, they started putting this together at 8 o'clock in the morning with both still cameras and motion picture, picture cameras. And they, they went away for a little while, maybe to get some breakfast. And when they came back, this is according to Cooper, um, when they returned later on in the morning, they had reported that they had seen a strange-looking saucer-like aircraft that did not make a sound on either landing or takeoff. Now, they saw it or they picked it up on the film they saw and then it and they picked it up on the film, but he didn't see it. Okay. Okay. So Cooper, when he goes back and talks about this, 
Um, he mentions that these men saw experimental aircraft on a regular basis as part of their job. Mm-hmm. Yet, he said that they were very much unnerved when he came back to see them and they were telling him about it. Okay, Interesting. Interesting, yeah. huh? And their account <laughs> goes like this, where they say that the saucer hovered over them, landed 50 yards away. No kidding. Yeah, using three extended retractable landing gear. And then it, as they went over to take a closer look at it, it took off. Boy, it was really quickly responding to their movements. Yes. Yes. And they had pictures of this. Okay. So Gordon calls uh, the Pentagon, a special Pentagon number, as it's written, where you report incidents like this if you're in the uh, military, right? And he's instructed to have the film developed, but make no prints of it and send the negatives directly to the Pentagon as soon as possible in a locked courier pouch. (laughs) Oh, come on. So right off the bat, they're setting up for the disposal of this from anybody else seeing it. You know, I mean, I won't say disposal, but definitely don't let anybody else see it, right? Yeah, don't when make I a mean print the, of it, don't, right. you know. Negatives, lockbox, courier, you know, uh, our eyes only. Right, so, so get this. So Cooper follows the instructions, but he says that he wasn't instructed not to look at the negatives before sending them. Okay. So he did. And Cooper claimed that the quality of the photography was outstanding, and what he saw was exactly what Biddick and Geddes had described to him. Wow. Okay? So how do you like that? Well, I mean, Kev, first of all, you know, these the astronauts and these other two fellas, I am certain, were really in the know and intellectuals. Yeah, and by the way, it's daytime. Yeah, daytime, they're out there in no man's land, probably a pristine cloudless sky with no interference from any ground growth or anything. And this thing comes down, hovers over them, and then landing gear comes out and it sets down 50 yards. That is like nothing. Oh, yeah. And don't forget, they're on the grounds of an Air Force base. Yeah. Now, why? I guess I would imagine you're on an Air Force base, so other people know you're out there and what you're doing. They yeah. didn't just walk out no, there with camera equipment. Yeah, they didn't sneak out there. Right. And here comes this thing. What year was this? Uh, what did I say? 1957. Wow. Uh, that was early on, too. Yeah, but that was in the hotbed time of a lot of UFO sightings, right? Yeah, well, 10 years after the initial one over uh, Rainier, the old flying saucer. The original flying saucer one, right? Yeah, Uh, but man, that is just incredible. Yeah, so he he sends them in, um, and he's he's expecting that there's going to be a follow-up investigation to these photographs since the aircraft of unknown origin, like we just talked about, landed at a classified military installation and was witnessed by three people. Yeah. But he never heard about the incident again. 
He was never able to track down what happened to the photos and assumed that they ended up going to the Air Force's official UFO investigation team. You know, remember the uh, Project Blue Book team. Yeah. So, folks, I would say that Gordo Gordon Cooper would be considered a reliable witness, wouldn't you? And at a reliable location. Yeah, come on, man. Pretty crazy. It is absolutely crazy. And the fact that this man uh, is forthright in saying what he saw over Germany while flying some type of jet, and uh, we assume it was a jet. What else would they? Astronauts don't fly freaking Cessna 150s. I think it's against the terms in their contract. (laughs) It's got to be fast. It's got to be wicked cool. It's got to be sexy. You know, you can't, that time you could only drive like in the early 60s, you know, a Corvette or a GTO, I think. Right. If you're an astronaut, right? Now, remember, speaking of driving a a GTO, remember an I Dream a Genie? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, what was his name? The, the guy who owned the genie bottle. Yeah, well, it was Larry Hagman, but Major, what the heck was his name? I don't know. Yeah, I can't think of it. Do you remember what he drove? No. Was it a GTO? A, G- a GTO. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was like some Air Force, what was he, a, a captain or? Major, Major. Oh, yeah, Major Healy was Major the Healy guy. or was that the doctor? No, uh, His no. Buddy. Major Healy was the goofball who always uh, had the hots for oh, Genie. Oh, yeah, his goofy sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he drove a GTO, so you hit that one right on the head. Oh, yeah. Wow. That That is really, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, that is really an interesting little find. And, you know, he's not the only astronaut that uh, was slightly outspoken. I mean, a lot of these guys could just clam up and say nothing, right? No, very typical, right? They didn't want to lose uh, um, their job. Yeah, know? and uh, but he obviously spoke about this at some point. Um, yeah, well, he, when, wrote, he wrote a book about it. And then, okay. by the way, in 1978... He testified before the UN on this topic. Interesting. So, yeah, know, that was, was in seventy eight. He was done flying by then, done done with his career, so he had less risk. But it is interesting that he stayed on it, you know. Yeah. Well, Kev, look, it's a life altering experience. And we when we talk about this or we talk about an encounter with Bigfoot or any other type of strange phenomena. When something happens to you, suddenly it sets you apart from all the rest. Right. And I, you've heard me say this many times, that who am I to question K.J. Sheehan telling me about his Bigfoot uh, encounter in North Carolina to not believe him when I have had so many strange things happen to me that are absolutely the God's honest truth, and I know they're true. Who am I to argue with what you're telling me? Because you could easily turn the table on me and say, ah, he's full of beeswax. 
you know, uh, this whole thing is uh, a lot of jive, you know? Yep, no doubt about it. Wow. That, I, Kev, that was really excellent, man. I really, I really uh, was energized and enjoyed that little piece on well, Gordo. We, we went to the skies, but now, Bill, the onus falls on you to bring the creep. <laughs> yeah, now, you know, this is a weird... Uh, we've heard these... When I say we, I mean, some of us have heard these types of things before. And I was actually on Coast to Coast uh, three weeks ago, whenever it was, uh, talking about uh, a logging site incident out of Alberta, Canada, where a man disappeared and his shotgun was broken uh, in half. And this is along that same ilk. So there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Bigfoot doesn't necessarily like people working in their backyard. And this somewhat historical tale was told to me by a fellow named Gus Levine, who at the time was employed by a construction crew working in the Pacific Northwest. And basically, this is what Guy had to say, or Gus had to say. As you know, Bill, I am now 91 years old. However, in the summer of 1961, I was employed by a construction firm working in various locations around the Pacific Northwest. And I must be upfront with you. In that in that, at the time, neither I nor any of the members of our crew had heard anything about the previously stated Bigfoot sightings or footprint findings in this area. I didn't read the papers, and we had no televisions at our disposal. We were both living and working in virtually no man's land, and that's the way we liked it. So these guys were out of touch with society doing construction work in the forest. The firm uh, for whom I was employed was on many occasions hired out to create cleared lanes in the forest used for power power transmission lines or fire breaks. And because of this, we were typically well into the woods for weeks at a time in places where virtually no man had ever set foot. It was late in June of 61, when we were beginning to break a new trail in Washington. We had trailered in our equipment to a point as close as we could get to our new work location and had begun cutting this trail or cutting a smaller trail to where the work would begin. For the work at hand, we had at our disposal two large caterpillar dozers, as well as a variety of other pieces of heavy equipment. We had our own fuel trucks, as well as work and living trailers, uh, that were, and we were set up fully equipped to stay out in the woods, uh, with the exception of replenishing food, water, and fuel. Every day when we were finished with the day's work, the dozer operators would lower the blade of the machine to the ground before shutting them down for the evening. 
It was about two weeks or so into this new cut, as we called it, when the crew, having awoken for a new day's work, was gathering everything needed. All of us, with the exception of the machine operators, were milling around the tool bin as the operators were themselves firing up the dozers. As the dozers were now running, one of the operators, whose name was Joe, climbed down out of the machine saying that he couldn't get the blade to lift. This, of course, got all of our attention, and the entire crew was now gathered around this D9 with Joe. It was then that one of the fellas said it looked to him like one of the pistons was bent. Now, in case your readers, Bill, are unfamiliar with the bulldozer, on either side of the machine extending forward are two enormous steel pistons which are hydraulic. Each of the two pistons weigh hundreds of pounds and are connected to the front blade of the dozer. The two pistons control the raising and lowering of the blade. After this fella had pointed out that the piston appeared to be bent, we all stepped back to see it from his perspective. And sure as shooting, it was bent upward, apparently a couple of inches. Now, it couldn't have been bent when the machine was shut down the night before, for had it been, the blade could not have been lowered. Makes sense, right? Understand me, please. This piston was a polished steel sleeve within a solid steel casing that would require a tremendous impact or force of some kind to bend. And we were in the woods with the machine sitting idle for the night in the dirt. As you would imagine, Everyone to a man was baffled by what we were seeing and the notion of how it could have happened. Nevertheless, the machine was inoperable without the blade, and several of the men began the task of removing the piston from the dozer. Now, this was not a spare part that was brought along with us, meaning that now one of the men had to leave the job in order to attempt to get another piston if there was one available. We were now down to one dozer, these machines being the mainstay of our operation. Two days later, the worker returned with the news that it would be 10 days before we could go and pick up a new piston turning a page here, and until then, we had to make do without it. I should also state at this time that it had been an exceptionally dry couple of weeks that we had been working. Uh, For generally speaking, this area gets a lot of rain, and at the very least is very damp and misty most of the time. It was four days later still six days away from being able to get the new piston, when we awoke yet again to dozer number two not being able to get the blade off the ground. Now, we were all living and working on the job site. None of us had heard nor seen anything unusual or out of the ordinary. 
During this particular night, it had been drizzling for the entire night, which was now continuing into the morning as we were now all once again gathered around this second dozer. And quite naturally, all of us were now looking at the pistons, which, believe it or not, were both bent on this dozer as they were on the front dozer. The foreman at the time, Bill, was fuming, and so were we, because without the dozers, there was no work. As we stood there wondering how the hell these pistons were being bent, a feat which was not humanly possible without the aid of some other piece of heavy equipment, none of us had been looking at the ground, our eyes fixed on the dozer itself. It was then that one of the men said, hey, guys, check out the size of these footprints. Now we were all looking down at dozens and dozens of gigantic human-like prints around a dozer. I say they were human-like, but that is only a vague description. They were damn near two feet long and a foot wide at the toes. The toes fat and wide with the large toe being curled in towards the middle in a very strange and unusual way. These were not human feet, but whatever owned these feet also apparently owned the strength to bend four-inch-wide steel pistons, a feat which was straight out of a Superman comic book. We were now removing the two pistons from dozer number two, after which the driver took both of them out of the woods as he had days before. Now, not only could we not work, but the two dozers could not even be put back onto the trailers without the blades being elevated. They were really in a fix here, folks. And so we were dead in the water, so to speak. The driver was given instructions by the foreman to not return until he had, at the very least, received the first piston that had been ordered. Four days later, he returned, with the rest of the crew having done nothing but wait. The first order of the day was, of course, to get the first dozer back into operating order, which we accomplished in several hours, after which we were up and running. Now, working late into the day, having lost so much time, that the night foreman said that we were going to take turns standing standing guard during the overnight in the hope of keeping whatever had been doing the damage away from the camp and the equipment. It was during the night, apparently around 3 a.m., when a shot rang out, waking everyone from their sleep and sending the camp into a frenzy. Freddie, who was on sentry duty at the time, said he heard some crunching in the woods behind the utility trailer. And when he walked around to take a look with a flashlight, a large black figure ran into the woods and he took a shot at it. All he could say was that he saw an exceedingly large figure leaping away into the trees, and he squeezed the trigger. With one leap, he told us, whatever it was must have covered at least 20 feet. Picture that. That is insane. And with the second leap, was entirely out of sight. 
After this event, two men worked together in shifts throughout each night. During the following two weeks, nothing further had happened, and in fact, we were now running both dozers in the timber and were in full swing again, clearing the trail. Now, I don't recall exactly, but it must have been several weeks after the shot was fired that we were returning to the camp for the day. Now, at this time, the dozers were far from the camp, and the guards that were posted stayed with them being relieved during the night by the other fellows with a pickup truck, shuttling back and forth between the work site and the camp. It was now 5 p.m. when we left the men for their first shift heading back to the camp. Nearing the camp, one of our 50-gallon drums was in the path, well away from the camp, and we stopped to take a look. It was still almost full and laying on its side some 200 feet from the camp. We drove around it and continued into a scene which we could not believe. These steel doors on one of our cargo containers had been peeled back like a tuna fish can, with the lock and the crossbar still in place. Everything and I do mean everything that was in the container, was now smashed and thrown around the camp. The trailer, which was our living quarters, was completely trashed to a point that it would be unusable and almost unrepairable. The door torn off with the hinges and everything was inside was totally ransacked. The only thing being untouched were the other drums. There were footprints everywhere, including muddy ones in the trailer and on the steps. The same giant prints we had seen by the dozer. The foreman said, go back up and get those two other guys. We are done here. The group of us drove out of there that evening, and to a man, everyone quit the firm. To be honest with you, I would have liked to have been there when the foreman explained his actions, but I wasn't. I left a job and got my final check in the mail weeks later. Who went back for the equipment or to finish the work is anyone's guess, but a sure shooting wasn't me. Whatever was there didn't want us there, and that was all right with me. Pretty bizarre, Kev, huh? I mean, uh, the strength involved, right? I I mean, I, who hasn't been up next to a big dozer? Those freaking pistons, it's all case-hardened, polished steel inside. Just like he said, inside those gigantic... I can't imagine what they weigh. I mean, one of those pistons has to weigh freaking 500 pounds. Well, think of the force that's on them just when they're functioning. Yeah, I mean, they're just shoving tonnage around and knocking trees down like they're toothpicks. Yeah. My God. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of Monster Quest when they were investigating that little cabin up in Alaska or wherever it was and something had gone in there doing a little trashing around of the refrigerator and whatnot and then they put that nail board by the front steps mm. 
where they got some uh, hair and blood on the nail, something having stepped on it entering. But this thing out and out trashed their facility. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, you know, it can go either way with these creatures, you know, where they're coming in just to have a look around maybe and see what you're doing. Or in this case, man, I'm not giving up and you're not staying here. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I would imagine, I'll I'll tell you what, man, I would imagine that if this uh, thing, if it was just one creature, uh, could have gotten a hold of one of these guys alone, uh, it might not have ended well for that individual with the, the, the mindset, if you could even call it that, that this creature was motivated by which is get out and get out now yeah so and you consider i bet you i wonder out there remember folks you know i'm always asking you to chime in with us and to call up and talk to me uh go to bigfoottearinthewoods.com and hit the contact link if you've seen something say something i would imagine with all of the individuals out there who have been involved in this type of industry which is ongoing and all of the loggers and all of the guides and the hunters, come on, people. Uh, come out of the closet and report what you've seen. Because I, I believe in my heart there are tens upon tens of thousands of people that have had uh, some type of interaction with these creatures. Yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I talk to a lot of people, Kev, but. I think the numbers are staggering of people that have had, to this day, contacts and sightings of Bigfoot creatures in North America. Right. I agree with you. You know, so that's the account, man. Uh, Again, this guy saw this thing behind the utility shed take two leaps and he said 20 feet. Now, again, you know, we could play with the numbers. Maybe it was 14 feet, and he said 20. But these things are bounding. When they decide to launch an attack or to run, get out of the way. Because they could be on you in a heartbeat, and you're not going to know what hit you. Could you imagine, Kev, one of these things just slapping you upside the head, running up behind you? Your your head would probably just cave in. (laughs) Can you imagine that freaking... One woman was describing, uh, and other people have said this, one woman was describing the hand on what she saw as looking like a catcher's mitt, and the fingers looked like they were nine or ten inches long. Mm. Could you imagine that type of mitt attached to the arm and the upper body of the des- described Bigfoot creatures that we hear about coming full force and bitch-slapping you across the head? <laughs> I mean, come on. You're, you're lucky if you had a head on, head on your shoulders after that thing hits you, yeah. let alone grabbing you or twisting you or crushing you or something you know yeah no doubt about it wow man so that's it bro it's crazy an excellent story on uh gordo cooper too boy i really uh i enjoyed the heck out of hearing about that yeah i I, I liked finding that one as well 
Yeah, very interesting. So what do we have in our listener mail, Kevin? Yeah, listener mail, we got some good letters this week, Bill. Um, Our first one comes from Gary in Pennsylvania. And he says, uh, gents, I don't know if he's talking to us, Bill. I just found your (laughs) podcast about three weeks ago, and I've been thoroughly entertained for days as I binge through them at work. Some of the stories are fascinating. I guess just some of them, Bill, not all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them are are dead wood and some of them are fascinating. (laughs) But Gary writes, uh, being a Pennsylvania resident, the stories from this state really give me pause when I think of the time I've spent solo hiking and camping in the woods with no gun, let alone more gun than I think I'm going to (laughs) need. Thankfully, the hairy man hasn't ever made off with me stuffed in my sleeping bag like a curbside grocery order pickup. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, Gary, uh, I wonder if if Gary's a dog man because he said he's got paws. Oh, yeah, paws. (laughs) And he says, thanks for the entertainment, laughs, and the occasional Apache helicopter flyover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no Apaches this morning. It's a good day for Apaches, too, but uh, nothing's come by. They must be having uh, a know, little pizza party. Yeah, it'd be nice if they could roll the guns around once in a while, shooting some targets on the beach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, yeah, so thanks again, and uh, and thanks to you, Gary, for writing in. That's a good, uh, good email from you. Yeah, good. And uh, again, folks, if you've seen something or you just want to say hello and comment, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, hit the contact link and get on board. Yeah. (laughs) And our next one comes in from Dave. And Dave doesn't say where he's from, but he says, hi, WJ and KJ. I love the show and I've heard every single one. He says, here's some fodder for your cannons. (laughs) <laughs> An idea for Kevin to follow up with on cryptids in the news and other oddities. Do some poking around about dropa stones or dropa stones, T-R-O-P-A, uh-huh. um, and the history and or mystery surrounding them. I found it pretty fascinating and believe you and your audience will as well. I really hope you'll check this out. Please know that all of your efforts are truly enjoyed and appreciated by so many. Keep them coming, guys, and all the best. And Bill, I don't, I don't know about the dropa or dropa stones. Do you? I, uh, you know, in the recesses of my memory, uh, somewhere along the line, I had picked up on something on the dropa stones. Okay, but you know. You know, as always, Kev, maybe we'll check into that. Oh, I'll definitely. I put, Dave, yeah. I put it on the list, and I love the ideas, right? We are 238 episodes in, and I don't think I've repeated any cryptids in the news and other oddities, at least, you know, that I that I know of. So, as you can tell, I'm looking for some new ideas all uh-huh. the time. Well, and also, you know, I was going to say, Kev, you know, I'd kind of like to have a redo of the black-eyed children. Oh, maybe you should just let them use your telephone and you can have a redo. 
Yeah, invite them over for dinner. Can you let us in? We'd just like to use your phone. I know you're looking at me on your ring doorbell because I can see back and I see you through your doorbell. Yeah. Now come on in, little guys, and catch this leg! (laughs) Bang! Tonight everybody's putting tape over their ring doorbells. Because it is a good night for the black-eyed children to visit. I we may can have see to do a repeat on that. <laughs> I can see through the tape. What are you doing washing dishes? Oh my goodness. I love the black eyed children. <laughs> yeah. All Don't right, our last <laughs> email, Bill, comes yeah. from Brian. Mm-hmm. And he says the subject is skeptics question. So get ready. All right. Hi, Kevin. I love the show with your brother. (laughs) I have a question for you both. What's your take on how skeptics act on the subject of Bigfoot? I can can understand some of the eye rolls, disbelief, and things like that. But why are some so adamant about it not being real in any sense? That even mentioning the name sets some of them off... That they'll berate you on it. Love the show and how you cover other cryptic things as well. Brian. So what do you think, think Bill? I mean, he has a couple of specific questions. Like, you know, why uh, why are some people so adamant about not believing it? And then why do some people want to attack folks that do talk about Bigfoot? You know... I think it all boils down to ignorance. There, you know, I've talked about many times the location people live in and their inability to think outside of the box or their their surrounds. In other words, somebody in Manhattan uh, has a tough time imagining creatures in the wood because they're involved in taxi cabs, rarely seeing the sunshine, going in and out of different buildings and apartments. It's very hard for them to wrap their mind around uh, woods, deep woods, people doing unusual jobs. Uh, I I don't think they, they, they can't even gear their minds around uh, large animals, you know, or people. I had somebody send me a picture the other day, Kev, of a bobcat hunting a rabbit in their backyard. Hmm. I mean, you, you don't see that. You know, they're not thinking about that. They have a cat they're walking or holding in a bag, you know, uh, like Paris Hilton walking down the sidewalk. <laughs> you know, and then the other thing is, if you're not open to experiencing uh, the possibility of seeing something like this, uh, when somebody else tells you about it, you're like, you're out of your mind, man. These things don't exist. It's like Santa Claus. Come on, man. You know, but when you see something, like we were saying before, look at Gordo Cooper talking about first what he had seen over Germany and then this other object that had landed and hovered over them. I mean, Wild horses 
are not going to tell Gordo he did not experience those things, and right. he did. Right. So it it's why would they criticize? They're ignorant. Yeah. Or you consider that the person that is talking to you is a bold-faced liar. Uh, even if you don't say it, you're insinuating it. Yeah. And, you know, you roll your eyes, you walk away, and you go back uh, and talk to your friends. You know, it it's a dicey thing, Kev. You know, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, maybe it's a similar view. Maybe it's a different view. I, I mean, I come back all the time, like I've mentioned before. One of the reasons why so many people are skeptical of Bigfoot, I think more so than some of the other things like uh, um, undersea monsters and, and even UFOs or UAPs, I think they're more skeptical of Bigfoot because it is known that there are, are and have been so many hoaxes. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all these hoaxes out there and, uh, you know, it's just it's a bit of a drag, actually. So I think that's part of it. And then, you know, it's just uh, I think the eye rolls and uh, and the other reactions are more like it is the longest, most broadly, dis- longest known, most broadly discussed um potentially ridiculous thing you know so it's like a descriptor of right. a ridiculous thing even if you're not a believer like oh boy that's like bigfoot you know yeah yeah, um, yeah. so I, I think it's but but if i had to pick one i'd say it's the hoaxing you know just too many hoaxes out there and known and confirmed hoaxes um compared to you know other cryptids that are much harder to hoax um right and it discredits the whole thing in their eyes. Exactly. Uh, typical of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as we used to say. Absolutely. And I regularly have people that I work with uh, bringing me the latest video they stumbled upon on YouTube, figuring Bill needs to see this, you know. And for the most part, these people are convinced that what they are seeing is a good Bigfoot video. Yep. And I haven't seen one yet that somebody else has shown me that's not a guy in a suit. Right. And they believe it is. They yeah. believe so it's both a ways. Yeah, both ways. Yeah, and I'm like, man, that's a freaking guy in a suit. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, thanks for showing it to me. But, you know, so there's a lot of weirdness going on out there. Yeah, agree. You know, it's hard to... Uh, dig your way through the malaise of garbage to get to a little gemstone buried at the bottom, you know? Right. But we've seen some good videos lately. We have. And, uh, you know, in the past couple of years, there's been maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe three. Maybe three, possibly four that I'll give... uh, credit where credit is due and I thought a couple of them were really remarkable uh, and I wasn't a fence sitter on a couple of these I looked at them and I said man this is legit no no doubt about it you know but and even I'm not- that Bill even that you know what'd you say three that's not that many no you know no so I think that's I- the challenge folks so it's a it's a great question um, Brian, it's a great question. We kick it around all the time. I'm of the camp that a lot of skepticism is because of the known hoaxes. That's probably number one to me. Yeah, yeah, and that blows everything out of the water. It does. You know, it's like the crop circle thing. 
Right. Where those guys over in Europe came out and showed you the boards they were using and demonstrated their technique. I wondered sometimes if they weren't put up to it by some other entity to uh, quell uh, the disturbance of the crop circle phenomena. But then you had other things that obviously, obviously, and scientifically uh, were not done by guys with boards and ropes on them marching around in a Yeah, field. other than and, you mean when you uh, wrote your name in the field, uh, in yeah, the cornfield with boards tacked to your foot? Right, William J. Sheehan in script with Was a smile, smile face and an arrow with a heart going through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was me, folks. Uh, that, that was me in the fields of Scotland. Awesome. All right, Bill. Well, that's it this week. Uh, great podcast. Podcast. Uh, and uh, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks for all of those five star reviews. And positive words in the reviews. They keep us going and uh, they bring new listeners to the podcast. And we love to get new listeners for the podcast. Yes, we do. And by the way, folks, if you should find yourself walking around through the woods in Washington, Pennsylvania, Maine, Michigan, wherever, you best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.